Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. That's what God's Word is. And, you know, sometimes the human heart can be in a state like a stone, can't it? The Scripture tells us that. God says to the people, He says, I'm going to take your heart of stone. You know, when you find a hardened heart, when you find a person whose condition is like they have a heart of stone, what hope is there? Well, you know what? The Word of God is like a hammer. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 21 through 25. Now here's Pastor Brian. The line of corruption is runs right down the center of every institution because it runs right down the center of every human heart. And so that's the problem. And so nothing new under the sun. Verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own hearts, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of their own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? You know, I mean, it is, is amazing because there, there's parallels today too. You know, there are people in positions of religious authority in various denominations and so forth who essentially will say the same thing to people who are rejecting God's word, to people who are blatantly violating the the clear teaching of scripture. And they'll say, it's fine. God's okay with it. He doesn't have a problem. You just go on. He wants you to be happy. And, you know, they will give that same kind of advice today. You can find it in plenty of places. And you see it all over television and in, in the movies. You know, you see a, a corrupt minister putting his blessing on some thing that God disapproves of. And that, that happens in real life, not just in the movies. I mean, that, that is a real thing. And so here in verse 21, he says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran I've not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Now listen to verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel and it caused my people to hear my words, they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. If they had stood in my counsel and it caused my people to hear my words. This is an interesting thing. God is saying, He's, he's laying the responsibility to some extent for this great wickedness in the land. He's just laying it completely on the shoulders of the, of the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders, for the fact that they did not seek him and they did not faithfully uphold and bring his word to the people. He says, if you would have done that, they would have turned. And I think about how you know, any place that you go 
where there was once a strong Christian witness, a Christian presence in the culture, and now you find the opposite of that, if you trace it back, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that the, it was the leaders of the churches who turned away from the Lord, who lost faith in the scripture, who stopped proclaiming the word of God to the people. That's where the whole downward slide began. And so it's the, the church's departure from the faith that leads to a culture's departure from the faith. And I'm, of course, I'm talking about cultures where the church has historically been and, and had an impact. But the positive side of it is to think about if we seek the Lord. And I think of all of the people that I know who are you know, pastors and teachers and you know, hold, hold those kind of positions. I think you know the promise here is if we inquire of the Lord, if we seek him, and if we faithfully bring his word, God will bless it and he will work. You know, back in the days when liberal theology really permeated the church, back in the late 1800s and you know, on through the early middle of the 20th century, these leaders of the churches, they decided that the Bible was really of no help, that it was full of myths and legends, and there was nothing supernatural about it. It was stories, and what we really needed to do is just let everybody know that God loves them and do our best to try to fix society and things like, like that. They, they called it a social gospel. And with the social gospel, they extracted all of the supernatural out of it because they said the supernatural is a stumbling block to people. You, you tell people that the Red Sea was parted and they're just gonna think you're nuts. So we gotta get rid of stuff like that. You can't tell people that you know, Jesus multiplied loaves and fish and fed thousands of people. That's ridiculous. That doesn't happen. And, and of course, a virgin birth, I mean, that's impossible. And no, Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead. So we've got to get all of that stuff out. And then we'll just be left with a love your neighbor as yourself and all that. And we'll, we'll do that. And it'll be great. And we'll preach that. And you know what they did? They did that exact thing. And you know what the outcome was? The church is emptied. The church is just completely emptied. Because what's the point? I mean, if none of this is true about the supernatural, if none of this is really true about God, if none of this is really true about sin, any of that, then what do I need to be in a church for? I just go join a club over here that does similar kinds of things and everything is gonna be fine. And so in these attempts, a misguided, to say the least, these misguided attempts to help God out by let's get rid of all this supernatural stuff so, so God can really work and we can fill the churches with people, the exact opposite effect. And by the way, when we're talking about, you know, cutting out these different portions of scripture, just to remind you that that's what Thomas Jefferson did, one of our great founding fathers. He knew that uh, a people needed a religion to keep them moral because a nation couldn't last without morality. But he did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he did not believe in the supernatural. So he actually created his own version of the Bible. He literally cut and paste a version of the Bible and he extracted from the Bible all of the supernatural events. 
And he just left us with the ethics and the moral stuff. And that was the Jefferson Bible. So, you know, today we have similar kind of stuff going on. People say, no, well, you can't say this is wrong. And, you know, we can't believe that God's really the creator. Of course, we've got to give room for evolution and all of this stuff because, uh, you know, it's going to turn people off. And so they adopt those views and they start proclaiming that message. And before too long, they're preaching to an empty room because everybody just decided, why bother? What am I doing here? But when God's word is taken seriously. And you know, it's interesting that recent research has shown, and even with the younger generation, because the big question that everybody's always asking is, you know, how to reach the younger generation? And most people think, well, they're not gonna believe in this and they're not gonna go for that. So we gotta really make it entertaining and water this down and we gotta throw that out and so forth. And what, you know what they've discovered through all this research that none of that is actually the case that the younger generation, you know what they want? They want the truth. They want it just like it is, straight from the Bible. Just tell us, tell us the truth as it is. And they're the ones who are actually coming and embracing the, the simple, straightforward truth of God's word. And so if they would have stood in his counsel, meaning seeking him, and caused his people to hear his word, the people would have turned. And so there's no substitute for the word of God. There's no substitute. So just get God's word in your veins and just let it flow and, and let God communicate it through you as you're, you know, as you're talking to people and just immersing ourselves in God's word. And our desire to encourage and to see more and more churches that hold fast to the word. And that's where we go here in the story. So he goes on and he says, verse 23, 24, I'll read this real quick. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, and their fathers forgot my name for Baal. So this is the, this is the contrast now. Um, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell his dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. That's the contrast. And that, that's always the contrast. The prophet, who, the prophet who has a dream, in other words, it's a person speaking out of their own heart. Speaking out of their own heart, not speaking out of their own heart like sincerely speaking, but speaking out of their own imagination, out of their own philosophy, out of their own ideas in contradiction to what God has said. And so that's a false prophet. A false prophet is a person who's prophesying out of the dictates of their own heart or somebody else's heart where they're taking and they're telling, you know, they might even be telling a dream. I had this dream and this is what reality is and so forth. And 
That's the contrast. But the Lord says this. He says, what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. So that's the difference. The chaff is the worthless part of the grain, right? The chaff is the part that you can't eat, the part that blows away with the wind, and the grain is the part that nourishes you. And so that's the comparison, the chaff and the wheat. And again, wherever the emphasis becomes on the dream or the idea in the mind of the person that either has been concocted by themselves or somebody else, some other philosophy or something, that is always chaff. Then God says, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. I love that analogy. God's word is like a fire. Comes and it just burns away all of the dross and all of that worthless stuff. And it's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. You know, that, that's what God's word is. And, you know, sometimes the human heart can be in a state like a stone, can't it? And the scripture tells us that. God says to the people, he says, I'm going to take your heart of stone. And so how do you, you know, when you find a hardened heart, when you find a person whose condition is like they have a heart of stone, what hope is there? Well, you know what? The word of God is like a hammer. And you just keep pounding those blows. You just keep delivering that word. And that's what's going to break that hardness, the word of God. You know, there have been people that have set in this church for years and years with a heart of stone. They came because family came. They came because they got used to it. They liked it. They came because back in Pastor Chuck's day, Pastor Chuck told a good story. You know, they came for all different kinds of reasons. And I can think of some People And Cheryl and I know of people who came and literally sat in this church for like a decade, unconverted, hard-hearted. And then, you know, one day that final blow of the hammer struck and the whole hearted heart just broke in pieces and they received Christ and their life was changed. So, you know, we just are going to keep hammering away with God's word and let the hard-hearted come. Let the stony-hearted come. And let him just be subjected to that, those hammer blows over and over and over again. Because sooner or later, the hammer of God will break through. And so down um, a little bit further here, just a little bit more in chapter 23, and then we'll be really quickly through the next two chapters. Chapter 23 here in verse 32, the Lord says, Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. So when these people or the prophet or the priest ask you saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? You shall then say to them, what oracle? I will even forsake you says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest 
And the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man uh, and his house. And so the idea here is that the message of the Lord, the oracle could be translated the burden of the Lord. It's basically just talking about the word of the Lord. But the idea behind it is that it's a, like a heavy thing, like the, the burdensome message of the Lord. So the false prophets refer to God's message through Jeremiah. This is a burdensome message. This, in other words, is a message we don't want to hear. And so God says to Jeremiah, never say my message is a burden. But he says he's going to bring a judgment upon those who refer to his message as burden. God's message, even though it brought judgment, it also brought healing and deliverance if the people would have submitted to it. So that's what he's speaking about there in regard to the oracle of the Lord. Now, let's just move on to chapter 24, and chapter 24 will be really quick here. Chapter 24 talks about the the people being like um, good figs and very bad figs. So the Lord showed me and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. And down in verse three, then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten. They are so bad. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up, and I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people. I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So that's the basket of good figs. It's the ones that have gone into captivity, the ones that have recognized that this is a just judgment of God, that they're gonna go spend these years in the captivity, but God's gonna bring them back into the land. But then the other basket, they are those who are really the opposite. And as the bad figs which cannot be eaten are so bad, surely thus says the Lord, so will I give. And Zedekiah is the representation of them. Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt, I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm to be a reproach and a byword and a taunt and a curse. And so God is going to, he's sending them the bad figs. They're very bad. In other words, they're set in their ways and it's, it's a situation where they're never going to change. And so they're going to face a judgment as a result of that. Now, chapter 25, um, basically there's just one very significant thing here and then another sort of a minor thing. But it's here in the 25th chapter that, uh, Jeremiah speaks in verse three, says, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, and remember that was, uh, Josiah was 21 at the time. Even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. I have spoken to you rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. 
man, 23 years of preaching to a hard-hearted, rebellious people. That's a long time. So again, he's going on, he's talking about the fact that the king of Babylon is going to come. So the Babylonians, they, they besieged Jerusalem three different times. And so as they took Jehoiachin, as we saw, they took him captive. And then Zedekiah's left. He's like a, he's a subject of Nebuchadnezzar, but then he's going to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. But, you know, the, the whole time they were thinking like, okay, now we're going to get deliverance. Now we're going to be freed up. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar's done his worst. That's over. We're going to recoup and we're going to go back to normal. That was their, that was their thing. And so verse 10, he says, Moreover, I will take them from the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp. These are all the things that go on there in their land when it was peaceful. And this whole land shall be desolation, a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So here it is, the 70 year exile into Babylonian captivity. And then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I'm going to send you to Babylon for 70 years in punishment for what you've done. And then at the end of that, I'm going to actually punish Babylon. And then the rest of the chapter is referring to the judgment that will come upon all of these surrounding nations. And so verse 15, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Verse 18, Jerusalem. Verse 19, Egypt. Verse 20, the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and Ashdod. And then Edom, Moab, Ammon across the Jordan, and then Tyre, the kings of Sidon, Dedan, Tima, Buzz, uh, the kings of Arabia, Zimri, Elam, the Medes. All of these nations are going to come under the judgment of God through Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to conquer all of them. And then he will ultimately be punished himself. That's the word of the Lord. So verse 30, prophesy against them all these words and say, and then just look at verse 31, and then we'll end with verse 31 and 32. For the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead his case with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation. A great whirlwind shall be raised up from the farthest parts of the earth. And at that day, the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth, even to the other end of the earth. And they shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuse on the ground. And so again, like we see with many of the prophecies, there's the immediate Fulfillment, which would be Nebuchadnezzar conquering those lands. And then there's the far distant fulfillment, which, you know, Babylon becomes a type of the, the final world power. And so the prophecy extends out to the, the final judgment of the world. And so there you have it, Jeremiah, 
21 through 25. For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, then this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jeremiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.